Good morning. I am glad to be here again. I am also glad that I didn't say anything too outrageous last Sunday because I got invited again. So I, I appreciate the opportunity and I'm thankful to the leadership of this church for allowing me to share the word with you. I know this is a very important responsibility and it must be taken very seriously. So if you could please open your Bible to the Gospel of Luke in chapter 1. We will be reading starting in verse 5 all the way to verse 17. Verses 5 through 12 will provide important context for the section that we want to focus on, which is verses 13 through 17. But we'll read starting in verse 5 of Luke 1. And the word of God says, In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now while he was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him. And fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the testimony that we find there of your work for us on our behalf, for our benefit, and for your glory. Thank you, Lord, that you have testified in the Old Testament and the New Testament that you have always been a gracious God and that your plan is for people to hear the good news of salvation, of the salvation that you provide in Christ Jesus. And I pray that we would have ears to hear, eyes to see, and that we would be blessed and edified this morning by the preaching of your word. I pray that you would help me to speak clearly. I pray that you would help my listeners, that they would be able to hear what you have to say to their hearts. And I pray, Lord, that you would be glorified in our midst. In Jesus' name. Amen. This morning we will be talking about an angel who delivers a message to a man named Zechariah. This Zechariah was the father of John the Baptist. And since 
the narrative talks about the angel appearing to Zechariah will be technically speaking of an angelophony. An angelophony. Now, I wanted to mention this because, uh, quite frankly, I like how it sounds. Angelophony. It's kind of a neat word. Uh, plus, you get a, a new vocabulary word if you were not familiar with it. And you get to tell your friends the morning message was about an angelophony. And you can see, especially the younger ones, the eyes go big and they're like, what? What? An angelophony. But more importantly and more to our text, the angel appearing to Zechariah reminds us that God is at work and he is about to do something marvelous. And so today I want us to see in this passage five things God says he will provide. First, he will provide an answer to prayer. Two, he will provide joy. Three, he will provide a servant. Four, he will grant repentance. And five, he will provide a people for himself. So God gives an answer to prayer. He provides joy. He gives a servant. He grants repentance. And he prepares a people for himself. Last Sunday, we talked about the ministry of John the Baptist by examining the first six verses in Luke chapter 3. And today we'll go back in time about 30 years from the events described in that third chapter to the events relating to the father of John the Baptist. So we're going to take a step back from the many names listed in chapter 3 verse 1. The rulers over the land of Israel, Pontius Pilate, Herod the son, his brother Philip, Licinius, and we'll go to the one ruler named in chapter 1, verse 5, in the days of Herod, king of Judea. And this Herod was also known as Herod the Great, and you probably remember him as the king who tried to murder baby Jesus. So in the days of this Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah. He was a married man. The text tells us his wife's name was Elizabeth. And for all we know, they were an ordinary couple, in the sense of being just husband and wife. But the Bible gives an exemplary description of their character in chapter 1, verse 6. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But there was a problem, and that's found in verse 7. They had no child. And as our passage will elaborate, this was a deeply personal issue that, bring, that brought sadness to the couple. And the description of Zechariah and Elizabeth as righteous before God does clarify for us that the barrenness was not a judgment from God. It was not some sort of punishment. Instead, God was about to do something wonderful through this precious couple. So Zechariah was a priest, one of several thousands of priests at this time in Israel. And verse 8 tells us that his priestly division was on duty to serve in the temple. So there were many priests, and they would show certain divisions that would go and serve in the temple for a week or for a particular amount of time. And the division of Zechariah was on duty to serve in the temple. Verse 9 says that Zechariah was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. 
So within a division, you still had to cast lots to see who would serve in the temple. There were just too many priests. So there had to be a mechanism, a way to choose among the many priests who would be the one who would have the privilege to go inside the temple and burn incense. And so this was the highest honor in a priest's career. Many didn't get a chance to do it. They were just never selected in the process. They would cast lots, but they were never selected. And it was such a high honor that if you were selected for it, you could do it only once. Your name was removed from the list, so to speak, and you could not do it again. So if you were able to burn incense inside the temple, you could do it only once in your lifetime. And to help us picture the scene, remember that inside the tabernacle and in the temple, there was a veil or curtain that divided two chambers, the, most, the holy place and the most holy place, or the holy of holies. In the holy place, you would find a lampstand, a table for bread, and the altar of incense that we're talking about. And the other chamber, the holy of holies, was where the Ark of the Covenant would be located. Now, let's imagine that this sanctuary area where we're at right now represented that dual chamber of the temple. And as you go in through the doors and you look to your right and to your left, you would find the lampstand and the table for bread. And then if I were where I'm standing right now, if I were in the most holy place or the holy of holies, and where the, the pulpit is, there were a big curtain or a big veil that would block your view of me, then you would find the altar of incense right in front of you, right in center, right where the table in front of me is. That's where the altar of incense was located, right next to the veil that separated those two areas. And I would like you to turn to your Bible to Exodus chapter 30 to get a, a little bit of background as to what was happening in this scene with Zechariah. So Exodus chapter 30, verse 1, the context is that, that God is speaking to Moses, giving him instructions about all the furnishings in the tabernacle. And Exodus 31 says, You shall make an altar on which to burn incense. You shall make it of acacia wood. And then if you jump to verse 6, it says, And you shall put it in front of the veil that is above the ark of the testimony, in front of the mercy seat that is above the testimony where I will meet with you. And Aaron shall burn fragrant incense on it. Every morning when he dresses the lamps, he shall burn it. And when Aaron sets up the lamps at twilight, he shall burn it, a regular incense offering before the Lord throughout your generations. Twice a day, it was to be burned at the altar, and, and this was to happen every single day. Now, if we go back to Luke chapter 1, this incense offering was prepared in such a way that it would coincide in time with what Luke 1 verse 10 says. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And this prayer is not incidental. It was just not happening randomly. 
the burning of incense is often associated in Scripture with prayer. Psalm 141.2 says, Let my prayer be counted as incense before you. And Revelation 8.3 says, Another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer, and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne, and the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. So Zechariah was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord, burn incense, a once-in-a-lifetime honor, with the whole multitude of the people praying outside at the hour of incense, and Zechariah by himself inside the holy place next to the veil. At this moment, Luke 1.11 tells us, there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And had I been Zechariah, I would have fainted. And I think many of you probably would have too. Now, as we imagine a reaction of fear, we must see that that was Zechariah's reaction as well. Verse 12 says, Zechariah was troubled when he saw the angel, and fear fell upon him. Zechariah was terrified, which is perfectly understandable, realizing the occasion and the location where this was happening. Nobody had told Zechariah he would see an angel of the Lord inside the holy place when he was ministering. The reason being, this was not an everyday occurrence. Regardless of what you may popularly hear sometimes, angels don't appear to people just because. Something astounding was happening, and Zechariah and the nation of Israel were to know God was at work. There had been no prophetic revelation from God since the days of Malachi, about 400 years earlier. So the broken silence from heaven was incredible. God decided that the time had come for him to act visibly once again in time and in history. And Zechariah was the first witness of this and the recipient of wonderful news. The Lord had a message for Zechariah, and he sent his angelic messenger to deliver it to him. What does the angel tell him? Well, the angel begins in verse 13 by calming Zechariah's fear. Do not be afraid, Zechariah. And notice why he must not be afraid. Verse 13, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your what? For your prayer has been heard. What is Zechariah doing at this moment? He's burning incense at the altar inside the holy place a picture of the prayers of the saints. What are the people doing outside the temple? They're praying at the hour of incense. And what does the angel tell Zechariah? Do not be afraid, for your prayer has been heard. God has answered Zechariah's prayer and communicates this to him in this most solemn 
occasion. Your prayer has been heard. Do you know that God answers prayers? Have you ever had the feeling or the idea that prayer is pointless? Well, our passage this morning, if we have had that thought or idea or feeling, our passage wants us to wake up from that slumber and realize we must pray, not, not only because we are commanded to pray in Scripture, but because our God listens. He pays attention. He cares. He knows the most intimate and minute detail of our lives, and He wants us to bring it all to Him in prayer. Zechariah had prayed and asked for something. What was it? Well, verse 7 hinted at it by telling us he had no child, and both he and his wife were advanced in years. The angel tells him in verse 13, your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. Zechariah had prayed for a child probably for many years, along with his wife, and now the Lord tells him he will have a son. God knew Zechariah's prayer, he heard it, and now at the appropriate time, he provides an answer to that prayer. It reminds me of Hannah, the mother of the prophet Samuel, what she tells the priest Eli in 1 Samuel 1.27, For this boy I prayed, and the Lord has given me my petition, which I asked of him. Let us likewise, in the words of Philippians 4, 6, in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And then let us wait and see how our good God answers those prayers. There's something else I'd like us to think about related to the scene where the angel of God brings good news to Zechariah. God chose to reveal the good news in the context of the incense offering and the congregational prayer assembly. And what I want us to note is that corporate gathering matters. The assembly of God's people is important. We live in a time where many are questioning the propriety and the usefulness of gathering together in churches like we're doing right now. There seems to be an attitude in some quarters which claim assembling is optional and that watching a sermon online is the same as listening to it in person with others. But this text speaks against that notion. Now, I understand the situation is not exactly analogous. Our text speaks of a Jewish temple offering but we shouldn't miss that God could have spoken to Zechariah and Elizabeth individually and privately at their home in the hill country of Judah. Or using a modern analogy, the angel could have started a Zoom session and just, you know, let him know what was going to happen. A few verses later in Luke 1, God sends the angel to speak privately to Mary. In chapter 1, Verse 26 says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth 
to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. So the angel was sent to Mary privately. And God does something similar with the message to Samson's mother in Judges 13. It was a private message. So there was no need for Zechariah to be in the holy place to receive the angel's message. Well, except God thought there was a need for it. And right at the hour of the incense offering with the people praying outside the temple, God conveyed the message to Zechariah. So we gather and we present ourselves before the one true and living God who sees us, listens to what we pray, listens to what we preach, and sees how we conduct ourselves in the midst of the, of the assembly of his people. It's not just because it's Sunday morning that we're here, but because we are the people of God, redeemed by him, and we gather to praise his name and to exhort one another to walk with him. So the gathering is important. And there's another important thing happening at the same time the angel is telling Zechariah his prayer has been heard. The angel gives the name of Zechariah's son. His name will be John. A child John who would later be known as John the Baptist. Now that the angel gives the name is important because naming the child was the prerogative of the father. It was the father who would give the name of his son. So a direct name from God alerts us to a special mission for this person that is soon to be born. And John means Yahweh is gracious or has shown grace. And even though Luke does not give us the meaning, the meaning would not have been lost in Zechariah, on Elizabeth, and on those who knew them. The Lord was being good to them by answering their prayer. God was answering prayer, but he was also promising joy. Look at how the angel continues in verse 14. And you will have joy and gladness. You, Zechariah, will rejoice. Your wife will rejoice. Those who know you will rejoice. We read about this in chapter 1, verse 24. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. And we read of that as well in verse 57 of Luke 1. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. Did you know that God delights in giving good things to his children? The angel could have just told Zechariah that he would have a son and, and leave the rejoicing implicit. But the angel expressly tells Zechariah he will have joy and gladness. Let's be thankful to the Lord for his goodness toward us. Let's enjoy 
what the Lord has given us to enjoy. Sometimes as Christians, I fear we may have a false sense of piety which claims anything enjoyable is wrong. But our passage tells us the birth of Zechariah's son would bring joy to his life and in addition bring joy to many others. And, and this joy, there is joy or there can be joy in the midst of difficult circumstances, but that's not the situation here. This is joy in a celebration, in something that they are happy about. So let's enjoy everything that God would have us enjoy. Verse 14 continues that many will rejoice at his birth. And we should ask, why are the many rejoicing? Well, we read in verse 58 that Elizabeth's neighbors and relatives rejoiced with her, but there's more to the many here than Zechariah's immediate circle of family and friends. The rejoicing transcends their circle and goes beyond to the whole nation of Israel and the world. And how do we know that? Well, because the terms translated joy, gladness, and rejoice are frequently used to speak of God's great works. And this joy, gladness, and rejoicing is a major theme in the Gospel of Luke. Of Luke. And I would love to have time to walk you through a survey of this joy theme in the Gospel of Luke, but for the sake of time, I'll just read a couple of them. I want to read in chapter 2, verse 10. The angel appears to the shepherds in the field. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. And then I would also like to read a passage in Luke 15, verse 4. Luke 15, 4 says, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven for over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. And this same idea, this same theme, you will find it in other chapters as well. Chapter 10, chapter 13, chapter 19, chapter 24, which is the last chapter of this gospel. So many will rejoice at John's birth because a prophet from the Lord has come. God has remembered his people and he will act on their behalf once again. The Lord Jesus was coming to seek and to save that which was lost. He's coming to rescue lost sinners. So many will rejoice at John's birth. Verse 15 tells us that Zechariah's son will be great before the Lord. His purpose and his mission explain his greatness. The Lord will mightily use his servant. 
And the Lord Jesus spoke approvingly of John in Luke chapter 7, verse 26. In Luke 7, 26, Jesus is speaking and he asks, What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. So the greatness of John is described in terms of his mission to prepare the way for Messiah. And let us not lose sight of the fact that John has not even been conceived yet. This is all God's doing. He declares it, and he will make it come to pass. So John will fulfill the assignment given to him by God through the power which God supplies, and he will carry it in a specific manner. For example, he must not drink wine or strong drink. Now, the priests in the Old Testament were not to drink wine or strong drink when performing their priestly duties. We read that in Leviticus 10.9. Samson's mother was told she would bear a son in Judges 13, and she was told not to drink wine or strong drink. The Nazarite vow in number 6 also included this provision. So Zechariah was being told his son was consecrated, set apart for the special work God had in store for him. And this consecration would be both visibly apparent in the way John would live, but also would be an internal reality. John would be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. There would be a special anointing from God that would empower John and leave no doubt whose work John was going to do. And this language is similar to prophets in the Old Testament. For example, Jeremiah 1.5, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. The sovereign choice of God is clear. And he would fill John with his Holy Spirit, which helps us explain what happened at the joyful encounter between Elizabeth and Mary in Luke chapter 1. If we look in Luke 1.39, Elizabeth and Mary meet. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. 
God had his servant ready for the mission he was to accomplish, even from his mother's womb, so that he would prepare the way of the Lord. And we must realize, as the people of God, that God equips his people for the work of the ministry. He has spiritually gifted all of us who are in Christ. He has made us a temple of the Holy Spirit, and we can serve God with confidence. If God has gifted us to do something, we can go and do it in the power that God supplies. So we can know in the words of 2 Peter 1.3, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. So the angel announces the birth of a servant prepared by God, and he proceeds to tell Zechariah what his son will do in verse 16. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. So many will rejoice at his birth in verse 14, and many will turn to the Lord their God in verse 16. God will commission John, as we read in chapter 3 last Sunday, to preach a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, and many will respond. Praise the Lord for that, that many would respond back then, and many will respond even now. The angel is announcing this before John is conceived, and even Zechariah doubted the veracity of it, as we see in, in verse 18. He was old, and he thought that was just not possible. But nothing was going to prevent the fulfillment of what God had said. Through the ministry of John the Baptist, many would repent and turn to the Lord their God, and John would accomplish this mission in the spirit and power of Elijah. Elijah being an Old Testament prophet who boldly confronted the Israelites with their idolatry and called them to turn to the Lord. The prophet Elijah publicly proclaimed in 1 Kings 18.21 to the nation of Israel, how long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. And the language in our text draws from Malachi chapter 4, verse 5. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. God will send forth his servant so that many will turn to him in repentance as an, and as a result turn favorably toward one another from the heart, the hearts of the fathers turning to their children. So both the vertical and the horizontal aspects are included. A turning from idolatry and sin to God and a turning from strife and selfishness to love toward mankind. The disobedient will turn to the wisdom of the just and they will not be disobedient any longer. Now, when we compare John and Elijah, we should see John performed no miracles. Elijah did, but John didn't. 
So the power of God with John had to do with the many who would turn to the Lord and toward their fellow men because of his preaching, because of what he said. And listen to how the Apostle Paul combines the ideas of the power of God, the preaching of God's word, and wisdom in 1 Corinthians 1.18. So if you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Starting in verse 18, the Apostle Paul writes, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. The outcome is never in doubt. God will grant repentance to those he has chosen. And he will do it through the preaching of his word. So that people may believe in Jesus Christ. The power of God displayed in the transformation of the hearts of those who heed God's word. Some people think, oh, if we could just do miracles. If we could just show people all the amazing things that God does, then they would believe. But the power of God is displayed when he transforms sinners by the preaching of his word. God answers prayers. He gives joy. He provides a servant equipped for the assigned task. He grants repentance. And he does it all to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. To make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Prepare. God will call out a remnant for himself. Those who are like the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 1.9 that Paul describes them that they turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead. Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. And our passage is full of Old Testament allusions in which we see God preparing a people for himself. 2 Samuel 7.24 And you established for yourself your people Israel to be your people forever. And you, O Lord, became their God. Isaiah 43.7 
everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. In Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3, a voice cries, In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. And you may remember that this is cited, Isaiah chapter 40 is cited in Luke chapter 3. And in verse 6 of Luke 3, we end with the phrase, And all flesh shall see the salvation of God. All flesh shall see the salvation of God. And that salvation of God is the Lord Jesus Christ, of whom John was the forerunner, was the herald. He was pointing to Jesus Christ. So God sent an angelic messenger to tell Zechariah he would bear a son named John, who would be great before the Lord, would go before the Lord in the spirit and power of the prophet Elijah. Many would turn to the Lord so that there would be a people prepared for the Lord. Are you among those? Are you among the people that God has prepared for himself? Have you heard the message of the forerunner John the Baptist telling you to repent of your sins and to turn to Jesus? the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world? Have you listened to the good news that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came to this earth to seek and to save that which was lost? He lived the perfect life. He died on a cross to pay for the sins of those who would believe in Him. He was buried. He was raised on the third day. And then He ascended to heaven and He will come back. Have you really listened to this message? Well, I exhort you to listen to it today. To know that God is actively working to prepare a people for Himself to be their God and He is calling you to be a part of His people. And if you are a part of the redeemed, we should bless the Lord for that. If you and I are a part of the redeemed, if we belong to the body of Christ, let us rejoice that God answers prayers, that He gives us joy and gladness, that He equips us for every good work He wants us to walk in. We should be grateful that, that He grants repentance. He convicts us of sin. He disciplines us as a son or daughter of the king. Let's marvel that he has made us for himself so that we can enjoy him forever. What a great God we serve. He is gracious. He is merciful. The name John, Yahweh, is gracious. He shows grace. It is a privilege to gather to worship his holy name through his son, Jesus Christ in the power and fellowship of the Holy Spirit. May our hearts and our lips be full of praise to Him who is worthy of all glory, honor, and praise. Let's pray. Oh, dear Heavenly Father,
Lord, if you did not reveal, if you had not revealed yourself to us, we would not know you. We would still be dead in our trespasses and sins. Oh Lord, we praise you because you are rich in grace and mercy. And you have given us eyes to see and ears to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray that if anybody is here, that this message has still not penetrated in their hearts, I pray that today would be the day of salvation. That today would be the day that they would turn in their hearts from sin to you, from enmity with others to love toward others. And that they would give you praise and glory to you, knowing that it is all your work. For by grace we have been saved through faith, and that not of ourselves. It is your work, our Lord and God. And we have gathered today to acknowledge that, to give you glory, honor, and praise, and to recognize that you alone are God, and besides you there is no other. And we thank you, Lord, for the ability to gather together, worship you, and hear your word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.